0: on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine.
1: But I think that we as men are very external creatures. We tend to externalize things, right? We look out at the world and we say, how do I build that? How do I deconstruct this? How do I make sense of that? And that filters over into our relationships. And so oftentimes we get into a relationship and I'm just using a heteronormative frame, but we get into a relationship with a woman and we say, how do I figure her out? Why did she do that? Why did she say that? How do I solve this for her? How do I fix her problem? And we almost create this massive unintentional and unconscious blind spot in the relationship by saying, I'm going to focus in on her and her problems and her needs and her wants and her desires. And what ends up happening when that gets dialed up is that we miss out on what we need, what we want, who we are in conflict, who we are in the bedroom, who we are in conversations. Uh, and, and we almost reject or neglect, I should say, our own needs, wants and desires relationally. Let's look at us rather than she's the journey. She's the adventure. No, let's look at I'm, I'm the adventure. I'm the journey, figuring out my morals, my ethics, my sense of integrity, my standards, my wants, my needs, my desires. Because if we as men can mine some of those things within us, rather than trying to say, okay, I'm going to meet her needs first and try and figure her all out out before I even tell her what I want and need. We have a much more solid foundation to go on.
0: What does it mean to be a man today? And what is masculinity reclaimed from the toxic patterns of domination and disconnection? In an era polarized by conflict and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the ancient and emerging mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of imaginal possibility. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Connor Beaton, a writer, speaker, and founder of Man Talks a platform dedicated to offering healing and brotherhood to men around the world. Using a combination of Jungian psychology, somatic therapy, transformative breathwork, and meditative practices, Connor has produced an effective approach to working with shadow and integrating the hidden parts of the self. In our conversation today, we speak about fatherhood and the release of his new book, Men's Work. In particular, we focus on the relationship between men and women, including a tactical guide to navigating conflict. He shares why the cliché of happy wife, happy life is a trap, and why it's better to seek to understand than be right. Connor shares how infidelity and in porn can lead to surprising revelations. And finally, we both respond with our own perspective on the age-old question, what might men really want? A heads-up before we begin, I'm pleased to share that I've now migrated the Mythic Masculine over to Substack, You'll be able to subscribe to forthcoming episodes, as well as consider becoming a paid supporter. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive posts, bonus episodes, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash subscriber to join. And now, enjoy my conversation with Connor Beaton. Welcome, Connor, to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's nice to, uh, nice to be here with you.
0: I'd love to begin by asking my guests to just share a bit of where they are in this moment, geographically, you know, spiritually, emotionally, whatever feels true to attune the listener to, to this moment.
1: Yeah. Well, I am in upstate New York. So I'll give you the, the geographic location first. Uh, I'm in upstate New York and uh, I'm near a little town called Rhinebeck, which is a, a beautiful place to be if, if, uh, you know, anybody has visited before. Uh, it's a really, really great place to be. And I think where I'm at maybe energetically, I mean, I became a father 22 months ago, which has been phenomenal. It's been really a, a game changer in, in my life. And. I think energetically I'm getting some energy back since my son is sleeping through the night now. <laughs> so that's always beneficial. Uh, even though my, it, there's like this impending energy shift. Cause my wife is very excited for us to start trying for a second child. Uh, and, and then, you know, I think where I'm at energetically professionally, uh, I'm, I'm in a really exciting place. You know, my, my organization has grown tremendously over the last few years. My podcast has grown a lot. Uh, and so I'm, I've really been sitting with, and I have this book coming out, which, and my wife has her own book coming out. And so we're in this very interesting time where lots of things are, are launching and being birthed into the world. And I think that anytime that we're in that kind of energetic orientation, um, it's just hot with possibilities you know and and the unknown of just i don't know how any of this is going to go i don't know how the book's going to be received i don't know how her book's going to be received um so it's uh so that that's where i'm at i'm i'm in a very grounded place a very exciting exciting place and venturing into the into the unknown of how some of these things are going to be received by the world.
0: When last we spoke, I'm glad you brought up fatherhood because that, that was our last conversation, which uh, I think was even weeks maybe after the the birth of your son uh, for your podcast. And we went into that you know, detailed journey for you, becoming a father, um, the threshold and the immediate aftermath. And uh, myself, of course, my son now, he's uh, just over four. So I'm a, a little further up the path <laughs> than you. And you know he sleeps. You know, just by the way, yeah. So he it may go this way for you, but he sleeps. You know, usually around three, four a.m. And now it's every night four or four a.m. Wake up. I want a snack, Dad or Mom, and uh that seems to be the the the, the typical uh, something now. And I just never really re- you know thought of or maybe nobody really explained to me before having a child that it's like, hey, you will not sleep well for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's for just so you know
1: four years. It's jarring, man. <laughs> Like it is jarring that that part has been that that is, is certainly been the hardest part of fatherhood for sure. And just and just becoming a parent is how how challenging it is to regulate yourself when you've had a some total of five hours of sleep, which has been interrupted repeatedly. <laughs> like no one tells you uh, how challenging that's going to be. So, yeah, I mean, I. I appreciate the heads up of like, you know, maybe at some point in the near future when, you know, three o'clock rolls around, my son's going to want a snack. I think that'll be, that'll be an interesting <laughs> endeavor. How, how do you, how, how do you deal with that? With those nighttime wake up calls from your child wanting to eat at three o'clock in the morning? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's the challenge of, of getting him to eat a full dinner, right? That's the challenge because I get when, when, you know, we're all eating typically he doesn't want to eat. Right. And then all of a sudden it's, at yeah, three, four a.m. and he's like, "All right, banana or or whatever it is, right?" <laughs> and so I, I, t- I haven't solved it yet. We haven't solved it okay. yet, but um,
1: seems to be this the way it is for now. Fair, Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. The the joys and and intricacies of parenting. There is just like you never know what's going to happen. Every kid's different. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm glad you too you brought up this idea of uh, being deeply affected by <laughs> things like lack of sleep, dysregulation. Um, because, you know, in relationship, and this is what I think we're going to focus much of our conversation on, relationship can be uh, that much more difficult to navigate when, you know, you're not firing on all cylinders, basically. And what that's one of the most surprising things, too, around, you know, when your things are good and you're, you know, well-slept and like all your skills seem to be at the ready, right? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, argument, let's do this. You know, whereas when everything is... You know, on fumes, <laughs> it's just wild even to be able to notice how ridiculous. I mean, honestly, myself can become, you know, like just really losing the center of, of capacity. And so it's just so important, just recognizing how much of that, you know, vitality is necessary in a way to, to show up, mm-hmm. uh, to show up better. And that, you know, having the skills is, is just not enough when you're not also being able to maintain and take care of yourself, uh, to have that capacity.
1: Yeah, I I agree entirely. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think you have to have there's you know there's a reason why after a child appears, it's I think it's generally like 2 years after a child appears within a marriage that we see some of the highest divorce rates because there's yeah. an immense amount of pressure that's put on the relationship, right? On the individuals within the relationship, but then subsequently on the relationship itself. And I, I always like to talk about the relationship as a kind of third entity. You know, we we often take it for granted, but I, I like this notion that there's you know there's you, there's your partner, and then there's the relationship itself. And if we, and the relationship needs certain things, certain types of nourishment and, and sustenance in order to survive. And when you know when you have a child, those things get uh, really taxed, and the the sort of cracks in the armor. Of the relationship will really, they'll become chasms, you know, they can become these big gaping holes within the armor or within the body of the relationship, depending on what analogy we want to use. And I think that it's important for us to recognize that. And so, you know, like my wife and I, um, we, we created a little bit of a system because I mean, I was just miserable at night. You know, I just I hated having my sleep interrupted, and she was okay. And and the reason for that was because it, my wife has this very, I want to say wonderful, but I you know it's one of the things that I'm jealous of. She has this really wonderful ability to just fall asleep and fall back asleep, at, 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 like at a drop of a hat. You know, like we have this running joke that she just can't go horizontal after 7 p.m. on the couch because she'll just fall asleep. Whereas I, I don't do that, you know, my, it takes me a little bit more time to wind down. And so what was happening in the beginning was, you know, I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning or two or whatever it was, and I would take another 30, 45 minutes to fall back asleep. And then my son would wake back up again, 30 minutes later, you know? And so we, you know, we had to really talk about how do we create systems and agreements Between the two of us to support one another to get through this, this period. And I think that that's one of the things that, um, that really served us and supported us in, in becoming Mm. not only parents, but I think it really has served us and supported us just in our relationship period. You know, it's been very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Well, let's take a step back then just in case, you know, the dads are all probably leaning in and being like, "Yeah, totally." And then maybe the non-dads are like, "What are they talking about? Come on, get to it." So so I'll we'll take a step back for a moment and speak to the book, of course, which is uh is just about out. Actually, you know, I've had a uh, an early copy, so I've been able to read it straight through. As well, um it comes out I believe in a few weeks. Now, this is being recorded mid-January. So, yes. Uh, you know, the 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 book is coming to a bookstore everywhere near you. And so first Uh yeah congratulations it's called men's work which is pretty just straight to it (laughs) you
1: know yeah you know i i don't i've apparently my my take on marketing is just make it as blunt as possible you know that's (laughs) it's like man talks men's work you know and and here's i just want to say something really really quick because men's work is i really hesitated calling it men's work i really did because men's work is a a genre in an emerging field, I would say an emerging modality that was very popular in the seventies and eighties with the mythopoetic movement. And now, you know, there's this huge upswell that we see online of, of men's work happening. And I was hesitant to call it that because I don't own that movement, you know, and I don't. And so I said that at the beginning of the book, you know, like this is men's work is so much bigger than me and so much bigger than this book. Um, but, I did want to create something that could be a standard for men to dig into inner work, you know, self-reflection work. And I tried to do my best to create this book in such a way where it's not telling you how to be as a man or, you know, defining what masculinity is for it, uh, for you, um, and, and really trying to do it in such a way to say, here's the work that I had to do in order to become a man that I respected. And here's the work that I've led tens of thousands of men through now that I have seen to benefit them and, and acknowledging that I draw on a lot of other people. You know, I draw on men like Carl Jung and et cetera. And so I I just wanted to say that because I could, you know, there's, 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 there's like a very fine line of entering into the territory of like, you called the book men's work. Like <laughs> that's a whole, I, I'm like, I feel like I could like have pissed off the entire sort of industry of, you know, men in the space doing men's work. But, uh, hmm. but so far it's been received very, very well. So do you have any thoughts on that, mm-hmm. on, on calling the book men's work? I'm curious to get your take since you've been in the space for a long time.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that it you know, directness. And I will say reading the book as well, I felt really pleased. Like I was really happy about how you were able to articulate, you know, so many elements into uh, a form that was accessible. And as I was reading it, you know, I was like, oh great, this would be so good to be like the, you know, basic reading. And I don't mean basic as in like not sophisticated, but like foundational text for men's circles, Mm, for example. mm -hmm. Right. Like if a new man is coming to a circle, I'd be like, Hey, by the way, read this first. Uh, you know, maybe I'll read this as you journey into men's yeah. work because I think it lays so much of the perfect groundwork, right? And, and from an accessible way. And so, yeah, I do say congratulations for that. It, mm-hmm. it does draw so many threads from myth, from, you know, archetypal psychology, uh, from, you know, somatic, you know, nervous system regulation into a format. Yeah. That I, I do say, you know, you've really managed to, to achieve well. So thanks. Yeah. My hat is off.
1: Thanks man. Yeah. That was, that was the, that was the undertaking. I kind of wanted to, to, to be the staple that coaches, therapists, psychologists, when they're working with a man and the man says, what do I read? You know, where do you, what, what, what should I dig into that? This, you know, this is the book that they recommend. Um, because it does cover a number of different topics. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. And
0: I'd say too that, you know, I see it almost as like a gateway book, mm. right? And, uh,
1: <laughs> So are you the, saying, you know, are you <laughs> saying my book is the weed of books? <laughs> it's the marijuana of books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very well. Could be. Uh, I find Iron John, of course, right? Is, is the, the previous standard, certainly for the mythic work. And, and, you know, I, reading it, I've read it multiple times. I've taught it multiple times. And, you know, there's a lot of dated references, right, in it, um, as it was came out in the early or 90s, I think it was, right? And so naturally it would. And, and so much of it is still a masterpiece. And much of it, again, is, you know, less in contact with today, of the men's work of today. And even King War Magician Lover, you know, again, has that similar flavor. It's like came of a certain time, certain things have carried through mm-hmm. and been, you know, adopted and adapted. And so this one to me feels... Again, the most current that weaves together multiple threads and, you know, areas that weren't well understood then, mm-hmm. again, such as, yeah, nervous system regulation, you know, trauma work. So, um, again, as a standard, I think it's it's a really great offering uh, in that regard. Now, you had a conversation recently, or at least I listened to it recently. It was, I think, last month with adam jackson of sacred sons uh, around your book in men's work and i thought it was a really great overview you know of the book as a whole and so again to the listener i'll put it in the show notes highly recommend if you want to just get a general overview of the book you know have a listen to that conversation and this one for us uh one because i also completed your uh, relational mastery course uh online which was again a really excellent i mean i'm going to dig into a couple key uh, key things there that I definitely, you know, was was really grateful to receive. Um, so we're going to circle a lot on relationship in this conversation. But a bit more of the groundwork. So we're in an interesting time, though, right? Where if you just say men, right? Then you might say, well, who do you, who do you mean, right? Uh, like who defines what a man is or masculinity or femininity, right? There's such a fraught moment mm-hmm. where uh, even to claim, you know, this is what seems to be what women want or desire right, in relationship. All of a sudden, you know, depending on the context and who, who's listening, they might say, well, you know, who's this guy to say what women or what is even a woman in general? And so it's just such an interesting moment to, to, to wade in. And I just wonder for you, how do you, uh, work with essentially like the need to define things in order to talk about mm-hmm. them? But at the same time, not, not necessarily create some kind of, uh, universalist claim, you know, to, to that, this is the way it is for everyone.
1: Yeah. It's such a solid, I love the way you framed the question and it's such a solid question. And I think it's an important one. My, my take is almost always to come at things in the, how do I want to, I don't want to frame this. I think that we're in a time where fundamentalism and extreme extremism and, and, uh, the polarization of, of people, individuals, culture, ex- genders, et cetera, is really intense. And I don't find that to be particularly helpful. You know, this, the extremism and the fundamentalism, I don't find that to be particularly helpful. So I, I always try and approach these conversations you know, around dating, around, you know, what do women want and what do men want and et cetera, through a subjective lens, through the objective lens of the data I've collected and working with men and couples, uh, reading literature, you know, going through the research and the data. So pulling from that, but I've always tried to approach it from the perspective of like one of the big concepts Within the relationship section and one of the big things that I've tried to do in my work is focus less on saying this is what women want or this is what the feminine wants because I think when you when I look out at least at the dating space or the therapeutic space. Whether you look at the kind of like hyper conservative side on the red pill side, you know, guys like Rolo Tomasi and, and whatnot that are that are trying to frame this is exactly how women behave and this is what they want. And and we've mapped out their entire lives and this is why they think this way and why they choose this way and yada, yada, yada. Or on some of the more spiritual sides of our conversations today, it's again, This is what the feminine craves and this is what the feminine wants. And it's a, and it's a complete definition of, of here's what you can expect in any given moment. And so rather than take that approach, which I think has been done many times and I think it's been done well and sometimes not well. Uh, I tried to take the approach of this is who you become around women. So rather than saying, here, here, I'm going to define what women want and who they are and how they act, and I'm going to lay it all out for you as a man, I try to take the approach of let's shift the lens. Let's actually turn the conversation away from why are women this way and why do they think this way and what do they want and how do you figure them all out and shift the lens towards, well, how do I figure me out and who do I become as a man around the woman that i'm with or dating or married to because in many ways we as men i think oftentimes and this is a generalized statement i don't necessarily know if it's the rule but i think that we as men are very external creatures we tend to externalize things right we look out at the world and we say how do i build that how do i deconstruct this how do i make sense of that And that filters over into our relationships. And so oftentimes we get into a relationship and I'm just using a heteronormative frame, but we get into a relationship with a woman and we say, how do I figure her out? Why did she do that? Why did she say that? How do I solve this for her? How do I fix her problem? And we almost create this massive unintentional and unconscious blind spot in the relationship by saying, I'm going to focus in on her and her problems, and her needs, and her wants, and her desires. And what ends up happening when that gets dialed up is that we miss out on what we need, what we want, who we are in conflict, who we are in the bedroom, who we are in conversations. uh, and, And we almost reject or neglect, I should say, our own needs, wants, and desires relationally. And so how I've structured the the section of the book around relationships was let's look at us rather than she's the journey. She's the adventure. No, let's look at, I'm, I'm the adventure. I'm the journey, figuring out my morals, my ethics, my sense of integrity, my standards, my wants, my needs, my desires. Because if we, as men can mine some of those things within us, rather than trying to say, okay, I'm going to meet her needs. First and try and figure her all out all out before I even tell her what I want and need We have a much more solid foundation to go on And what I have seen again, this is a a generalization is that men that have done That kind of work are generally very appealing to women Because a woman will know where she stands And she'll know what that man wants and expects and needs and desires And so it brings this sort of clarity into the relational dynamic where we're empowering each individual to say, I think I have a good understanding of who I am and what I want and what I desire. So, and, you know, that's, that's the basis of it. Obviously, we're never going to know entirely who we are and entirely what we want. And so it's not a, it's not an, you know, a a universal or an, you know, extreme like that. But if we can have some clarity then we're bringing much more to the relational table so I, I think that's probably a good place to start
0: yeah thank you for that what comes to me is the difference between trying to seek yeah you know, like a universalist definition this is the way it is versus pattern recognition mm-hmm. right this is the way it seems to be right this is the way it seems to keep happening which that that is like a relational intelligence, which is very different for me than yeah trying to declare and label and deconstruct. And so, you know, th- there's this. Uh, I think you reference it actually in the book, but there's this truism that tends to come up at weddings, right? And it's happy wife, happy life. And uh, you know, it's funny because actually my partner and I we we have this joke where I think I think she even got uh, the that magnet which is on our fridge right (laughs) but it's kind of this like it's kind of this self-aware kind of thing and so i'll often say so you know they say uh happy (laughs) happy wife good times (laughs) So, like like, deliberately not rhyming it basically just because it's so clear that that's the next line in this you know kind of statement but as you point out and as you you know you've started to unpack there that that's a trap that a lot of men fall into in relationships with women where it's like okay if they're happy then i'll be happy right? So what do I need to do to make quote them happy? And it's this like never ending kind of quixotic, uh, <laughs> quest, right. To, to, if, if that's the case and you talk about it in the book, you say that's, it's a trap because, um, it's a, it's a manner of approach that will never arrive at the destination you think it will.
1: Yeah. It, it'll never produce the outcomes that you want as, as I mean, I, I'm going to say as a man, but but I mean, anybody deploying this, this kind of tactic is, it's not going to produce the outcome of having your needs met, feeling deeply satiated in the relationship, feeling, and, and in a lot of different areas, right? Feeling sexually connected, feeling deeply understood, uh, feeling like your, your needs are a priority within the dynamic. It'll never arrive at that outcome because it's almost like, I mean, we've all kind of heard the notion of, uh, happiness being on the other side of a goal, right? Or on the other side of a, a destination or an outcome. And so if happiness is on the other side of, well, I just need to achieve this thing and then I'll be happy. We, we actually never reach it. We, we never embody it. We never allow it really into our lives. And so if our needs and wants as a man within a relationship are on the other side of, I need to make her happy and figure her out and solve her problems, we're just kind of screwed you know and there's no other way around it and and the problem is is that it creates a tremendous amount of resentment my god the amount of of couples that i've worked with over the years or my wife and i have worked with because she's a uh licensed marriage and family therapist where this dynamic has been at play in the relationship and resentment has built up on both parties sides is is tremendous and so we have to be willing to come at this from a different way. But it, what's interesting is how ingrained it is in so many men. You know, this way of being is deeply, deeply ingrained into so many men's framework when it comes to dating and relationships and marriage, that this is how they get their needs met. And this is how they are quote unquote, good man to a woman or relationally with, within the context of the relationship. Hmm.
0: Well, let's turn now to in the course. And I don't know if you say it quite as succinctly or directly in the book, but you have this, uh, element of understanding women, right? So kind of conc- conc- concretely, there's some I do, yeah. statements you make. And yeah. And for me, there's quite a, you know, an aha or two in there. And one particular statement you made was, uh, I might paraphrase it, but it's just that, uh, women or a woman desires to be fully expressed. Right, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. A woman desire a woman's deepest desires to be fully expressed. You know, something like that, and that gets pretty close to universal, right? When you, when you, at least when I say it mm-hmm. that way, uh, and yet, and yet, you know, when I tested it in the field, <laughs> right? When I, when I shared that, it was a, a conversation my partner and I with uh, another couple, uh, you know, a few weeks back, and I was like, yeah, I'm learning some stuff here from Connor, and you know, he here's something he says about women, and I said that, and it was like the woman in the room would just exhale like ah like yes right and so for me that's like okay so there's something true to that right there's something true in that and it's almost like to hear a man say it in that context in that moment almost uh created a sense of you yes you get it like that's what i've been trying to say to you you know and for me to hear it in that way too was like oh that's a very different uh way of perceiving, right? What's going on in a particular, in a conflict, right? In a, in a, in a tension moment, in a confusing time to say, Oh, my role here in this moment could be, uh, to just fully receive them in what they're trying to express to mm-hmm. me. Uh, you know, and I can unpack that a little bit, but I'd be curious to know, you know, that, that, that again seems to be something you felt strong enough to really, you know, one of the pillars really in relational mastery. Was there- yeah
1: yeah, I think in general, I would say in general that if you go out you know if you took a microphone and a camera and you went to campuses and you went to tech companies and you went to wherever businesses all over North America and Europe and wherever, and you sat down with women and you said, do you want to feel fully expressed in your relationship?" I would say that almost unequivocally the answer would be yes. You know, if you ask women this question, do you want to feel fully expressed emotionally, physically, sexually, spiritually, within the context of your relationship, a woman's going to say, yeah, I I deeply desire that. I want to be known because in some ways, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the essence of, of vulnerability, Right. I want it to be safe for me to, sorry, to, to open and have you see who I actually am. And to be known by you in some ways is to be loved by you. So there's this beautiful dance that can emerge when we as men step into, step into the conversation, step into the role of being the presence or being the consciousness. And I don't want to get too like woo on this, but being the presence that is evoking a woman's emotion, her experience, what she's thinking, what she's feeling, what she's wanting, what she's desiring. And, and being the awareness that is witnessing what she is wanting to be understood for. Like, I'll just give you an example. I remember my wife and I, When we, when we started dating, she had a very interesting dynamic with her, with her mother. And I can share this. I've, I've asked for, you know, like, are you cool if I talk about this kind of stuff? She and her mom just did not get along very well. And she would try and communicate it to me and I would ask questions and I would, okay, it sounds like this. And that sounds very frustrating and I'd empathize. But there was always this kind of disconnect between, her feeling really understood. And I could tell that there was just this desire, like nobody has got in my life, no friend, no family member, no past partner has ever really understood how challenging this relationship with my mother is. And so one day she was on the phone with her mom and they were in some kind of argument and she was sitting right next to me on the couch. And I just leaned over and I, I said, can I, can I hear? And she's, she looked at me and I just pushed the, the speaker button on her phone because she's holding the phone there, right? And I pushed the speaker button so it's on speaker. And I say, "Are you okay?" And I gave it like you know the thumbs up, and she said, "Yeah." <clears throat> and I just listened to the conversation. I just sat and played witness to the conversation. And then the conversation was done. And I said, "You know, hearing the, the dynamic between you two, I actually get it much more deeply." than I did before. I really understand how infuriating, infuriating that must be for you to have your experience constantly invalidated by her. And she just broke down. You know, she just was like, and, and she's talked about that numerous times because like, you know, she was said, that's the very first time that anybody in my life has really understood this part of me that is, and, and this relationship that's been incredibly challenging and taxing. And for her, that was a deep, deep form of love that allowed her to feel safe within our relationship, feel understood, um, really feel connected to me. And, and I think that in many ways, and I didn't really have to do much, right? And, and I didn't have to fix it. I didn't have to solve it. I, you know, I didn't, it was like, here's five things that you could do in order to rectify this, you know, (laughs) this conflict with your mom. No. No, I didn't have to do any of those things. I just had to be present to the fullness of what that experience was like for her. And so we as men often underestimate and under index the value of understanding our partner's experience. Because for us, it's not always as high up on the value ladder as it is for a lot of women. For us, it's like, well, you know, maybe I want some of my buddies to understand how challenging that is, but what I really want is a solution. Like, how do I fix this? How do I get out of this? And again, this isn't a universal, but it's it's a generality that is that is true often enough that it's very important. So maybe I'll just pause there.
0: Thank you for that. You know, what comes to me is also something you followed up with. I think it was in the same uh, module, but it was this recognition of well, what gets in the way right? Of the capacity to do that, right? It's in the way, uh, as a man. So, you know, sitting there listening to some challenge or issue, even if it's with you, what gets in the way of being able to say, wow, you know, I, I, I I hear you in that. And for me, it seems true. And you said this was taking their emotions personally, Uh right? Like something around or personalizing their emotions or personalizing their experience. And that that's another trap, and I'll say that's a very hard trap to
1: not step into. <laughs> it's <laughs> such a hard trap, especially when their emotions are related to us, right? Or our relationship to them or something that we did. Or I mean, good Lord, it's hard. You know, I still get caught in that trap sometimes. I'm not, I'm not immune from it. Um, and I don't pretend to be above any of these things that I talk about. I mean, I still get looped into that sometimes. But thankfully, I have the awareness to it. And so, yeah, I mean, one of the challenges, do you want me to speak about that a little bit? Sure, please. I I think one of the challenges is that how, and again, this is a bit of a generalization, but I think how a lot of us as men find a sense of value and worth in the relationship is by being of contribution to our partner, is by providing something. You know, giving something, whether it's insight or information or, um, helping with something. And so, you know, no, most men don't want to see their partner suffering. They don't want to sit across from their partner and, and see them in duress or, or upset, you know, being upset or crying or whatever it is. And so when, A lot of men see their partner upset. The personalization happens in the sense that we go into this mode of thinking, I need to fix this for her. Right. Or I need to help her fix this problem so that she doesn't feel this way. And what ends up happening is that for a lot of women, how they receive that is you don't understand what I'm feeling. Right. So it creates this Chinese finger trap. You know, where the more we try and solve the problem, the deeper into the trap that we go. And, and what it does, it says, in some ways, we're communicating that I need to be of service to you to such a strong degree that I'm going to ignore how you're actually feeling. So when we can pull back and say, my worth and my value as your partner is not dependent on me solving your problems... We're left with two things. One, usually a vacuum, like, okay, well, then what the hell do I do? <laughs> right? Which is what most men do. It's like, okay, so yeah, I get, I get it, but then what do I do? And two, it's being able to step into the, the quest of understanding what she's experiencing and asking different questions to see how she wants to handle it. Because in many ways, when we say, I'm going to fix this for you. I'm going to solve this for you. And we personalize their problems. What we're saying is, I don't trust you to deal with this with yourself in, in an inadvertent way, we're saying that. And also, I don't think that you can manage this or handle it. And so I need to step in and solve it for you. And so we actually disempower our partner rather than empower them to go about finding some solution or not even needing a solution, maybe just you know being able to feel what they're feeling. And and have that be enough. The last thing that I think that I'll say is when we personalize it and get reactive, right? So maybe you know our partner's upset because we forgot to do something, right? This is uh this is something that I've done in the past because sometimes, like, you know, I grew up with pretty intense ADHD. And so sometimes I just, I just forget to do something. It's not because I don't want to follow through with it. It's not because integrity isn't a high value. It's, it's that, and I'm not using ADHD as a, as a, as an excuse, but sometimes with the amount of stuff that I have, I just forget. I just drop the ball. And in the beginning of our relationship, because I wanted to get things right so badly. When I would forget to do something or drop the ball and my partner, my, my now wife, you know, at the time she was my girlfriend would get upset. I would take it personally. I'd become defensive and reactive. And you know, you don't understand how much I have going on and all those types of Mm -hmm. things. All of that would emerge. And what that communicated is I'm not in the seeds of directing and connected to what I'm actually feeling. Because in those moments, what are we what are we actually feeling? Right? We're feeling shame. We're feeling embarrassed that we forgot to do something. You know, we feel like we have dropped our responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so rather than being able to own that, we move into a place of defensiveness and hostility and you know, whatever else that looks like. So mm-hmm. I think I'll probably pause there because I think you probably have some good follow-up questions on on mm-hmm. this area.
0: Well, this is great. I mean, one thing I wanted to sort of name and now touching it on somewhat of the mythic dimension, but I would say a kind of neo tantric frame on things, right, is this, uh, this image, where, which is the wild Shakti, you know, expressing <laughs> fully, uh, you know, the, the chaos of, of life, right. And then Shiva sitting there, you know, stoic and perfectly poised and, you know, holding the space. And there's something on the one hand, you know, mythically that that's what it conjures, right? In the sense of being present and just like, I'm there, baby. Right. And at the same time, it sometimes for me, it also feels a bit, uh, a bit like one sided. So it's like, when do I get to be chaos? Right. And yeah. when can she hold the space in that same way? Because in, in sort of, um, gendered roles in a culture where the woman's always chaos and Shakti, right? Always like fused with the feminine Mm -hmm. as only that. And then if men are, you know, fused with only masculinity or sort of that even somewhat uh, mythic dimension, right, then there's still, it's kind of, it's problematic in that way or it feels one-sided, doesn't feel reciprocal, right? And this is where maybe we might touch on the vulnerability myth for men and the role that you see women have to, I say have to, maybe in quotations, but need, or the skill they need to hold in order to, Flip that polarity, or to be willing, right to to hold that space. So, I'd love to laying that out a bit, but I'm curious what yeah. it might come for you.
1: Well, first off, what what arrives for me is I am certainly going to be sending you a T-shirt that says uh, "Neo <laughs> Tantric." Neo Tantric, Neo Tantric teacher. I love. That. I was, you said that. I was like, that's great, Neo Tantric. That's that's solid. um <laughs> You, uh, it's a very interesting time in the sense that a lot of the couples that I've worked with, again, not all of them, but many of them, w- women have been more and more over the last couple decades for, for good reason and, and for, uh, for some phenomenal outcomes have stepped more and more into this very independent, what we would think of, of, of more masculine, right? That, uh, that Shiva energy, um, uh, as you say, and, and because of that, I think in some ways it's, it is becoming more and more challenging for these relational dynamics to sort themselves out for men to understand what, what is my role and what do you actually want from me? Cause you're telling me that you don't need me. You don't need a man. Um, but you're also telling me that you want me to be emotional and vulnerable, but you're also telling me that you want me to hold space for you. And so which is it? Like, do you want me to be emotional and vulnerable? Which means that when you're feeling. Big emotions. I'm going to feel them with you, and I'm going to tell you that I'm feeling those emotions. Or do you want me to hold space for you? Or am I supposed to discern when I'm supposed to play those roles? Um, and so, I think that the expectations of men have changed. I think that the expectations of women have changed, you know, dramatically. And I think that a lot of people are trying to sort that out. And you know, just as an example, it's like. I think it's 42 percent of American households. The I, I generally dislike this term "breadwinner," but women are the breadwinner of the house. So you have 42 percent of American households now where women are out earning their male counterparts. And again, this is a heteronormative um, uh, uh, relational dynamic that we're talking about. But that's substantial. And what I don't see in our culture, and I know I'm deviating a little bit, and I'll come come back. You know, down the chain here in a second. But what I don't see in our culture are conversations about what do you do with that, because that has a very real and substantial impact on relational dynamics. When you know, for better or for worse, there was a sort of uh, relational roles that people fit into or played in the past. Those have been completely deconstructed. Which again could be great, could be bad for some people, et cetera. And now today it's less clear what role you're, su- what role you're supposed to play. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily or inherently a problem, right? Not having super clear, super rigid, uh, gender roles. Cause again, as I said up, up front, I'm not a fan of fundamentalism. I'm not a fan of extremism, um, because it creates all kinds of problems as we've seen it- historically. But, I think just before I get too far from the the core of what we're talking about, I think one of the challenges that ends up happening in these dynamics is that, again, A, we as men don't actually know what our partners are wanting, right? So she'll bring something forward that's charged maybe she's angry that we forgot to do something or you know she's feeling upset about something that's happening with your family right your mother has done something or said something or your father has done something or said something and it's very confusing for a man because for a lot of guys they don't know okay am i supposed to hold space right now and just hear what you're feeling and experiencing and be this sort of stoic vessel to bring that that forward, or am I supposed to share in this with you emotionally and be vulnerable and tell you, yeah, I don't like that either, and and get into the mix? And so I think mm-hmm. there has been a, a, a confusion, and then you you pile in this, you know, um, that w- some again, some not all, but but some women are are much more in this sort of quote unquote traditional masculine archetype of being. Immensely independent. And so they're sending nonverbal messages constantly within the relationship of, I don't need you. I don't want your support. I don't want your help. I don't want your feedback. I don't want you to, uh, to do any of these things for me. I should be able to do it all by myself. And so there's a little bit of a, a, a shame that sometimes shows up within the woman that says, I shouldn't need this. You know, modern culture and society has kind of told me that I shouldn't need some of these things. And so I think that there's uh, a paradox on both sides. So I, I know I kind of took that to maybe a little bit of a different place, but I think it's important to, to sort of discuss because I see a lot of relationships where there's just a tremendous amount of confusion. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of confusion.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, I'll use one example for me too. I mean, this happens a lot, which is, uh, my partner might say, yeah something that she's experiencing or, or feelings that she might have right or describing a situation and i can tell there's charge and i'll be you know normally sometimes uh often if i'm honest I mean, I'll, I'll freeze a bit and say okay okay what does she need do right now right wow. <laughs> and then i'll say okay okay i think i need to reflect that's what i need to do so then i'll say okay so i hear that you're you know upset about this situation that's going on i, I hear you uh I think, or I think, you know, this is me literally how it often sounds. I'll say, I feel like maybe there's fear there for you. Like if you're afraid of, you know, what's, what might happen in this situation. And then sometimes she will say, well, no, I'm not afraid. Don't put words in my mouth. I am like, okay, okay, no problem. <laughs> and then I might say, okay, so, um, there's sadness there. And it's like, yeah, I'm sad, you know, so there's, and then I'll get there. And I'll be like, yes, you know, I, I did it, you know, internally. Right. Mm. And then just say, okay, but I don't feel you feeling me right (laughs) i just hear you i just hear you reflecting me and you're okay fine that's pretty good but that's like level one that's like you know basic steps and then but i don't feel you feeling me i need to feel you feeling me and so that to me is a you know a constant work for for me as well which you know you might have some thoughts on that but that there's yeah there's some kind of empathic uh resonance there that needs that is the need it seems to be maybe yeah you could speak to that
1: yeah. So I'll, I'll get maybe a little bit more tactical and practical in, in this part rather than going off on the existential and, and esoteric. Um, okay. What do we do in those moments, right? When our partner is, is feeling that way and, and experiencing something? One, I think it's very important that we hold some of the, internal consciousness, some of our consciousness, some of our awareness, some of our attention that is in those conversations. We hold some of that for our direct felt experience. What do I mean by that? I mean that we maintain like 50% of our consciousness on what am I feeling right now? What am I experiencing as she has this conversation? Do I feel panicked? Do I feel worried about saying the right thing or the wrong thing? Am I not really engaged in this conversation? Do I not want to have this conversation right now because I got a million other things to do? What am I actually experiencing right now? So that's part of our responsibility. Take 50% of your attention and put that focus onto your direct felt experience. What am I thinking and feeling right now? The other 50% of your consciousness, right? So we can we can do this, right? We can hold two ideas at once. We can We can both maintain an internal focus and an external focus. The other 50% of our focus, we put on our partner. And we do one thing, which is we seek to understand, right? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And a really simple question that I I always recommend to men is, what do you want me to understand about that? Just that. What do you want me to understand about that? Right. What do you want me to understand about this conflict that you're having with your mom? What do you want me to understand about uh, you know, me forgetting to pick up the chicken on the way home or the eggs? What do you want me to understand about you know, when our kid didn't do the homework and you caught them lying? What do you want me to understand about that? And that can open the door to her being able to express what she really wants to communicate. Now, sh- it's her responsibility to walk through that door. Once you create that opening, it's her responsibility to walk through that door. And then, and then, and only then, um, and there's different iterations of this question that you can use, right? So maybe just don't use the same one over and over again, you know, for the next year or so. Create some... Connor t- told me to say... Yeah, <laughs> Connor's okay. <laughs> I can see all the guys running down. I was like, okay, say this at this time. Uh, and then mirror back some of what she's saying, you know, wow, that's, that sounds really frustrating. And at first you let yourself get it wrong. Give yourself permission to get it wrong. You know, you're kind of playing a little bit of emotional detective and that's okay. You're not responsible for what she's feeling. You don't need to solve the problem, but what you can do is say, Hmm, I wonder what it's like for her to be in that experience. And if you can take that frame, I wonder what it's like for her to be in this experience. Huh? Okay. Well, what questions would I ask out of that? I'd probably ask, what do you want me to understand about that? How did you feel when she said that, or he said that, um, you know, what did you do? How did you react to this? What do you think you should do? Um, what did it make you question? So there's suddenly there's a, a, a massive amount of questions that we can then ask our partner out of what would it be like to be in her position right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are the really important things. And again, all the while through that conversation, maintaining part of your focus, part of your attention on your internal experience, because you in that conversation are tasked with in a, in a wonderful way, Regulating your experience. So noticing when she says something, you know, say that it's, she's upset because of something that you've done or said or forgotten to do. Notice that when she says something, do you become reactive? Can you feel defensiveness within you? Can you feel embarrassment? Can you feel shame? You know, can you stay conscious to your own internal responses? Because the real challenge that many of us have In conflict in our relationships is that we go unconscious. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that we, you know, if you've ever gone into an argument with somebody and you've, you've said the words, I just lost it. You know, I just, just lost my cool. I lost my temper. Yada, yada, yada. Well, what did you actually lose? You lost your consciousness. You lost your conscious capacity to respond and you started responding and reacting from your emotion from your anger from your aggression from your embarrassment from your shame and so we have to bring some consciousness to what is my experience in this conversation while still prioritizing theirs hmm.
0: well, this is a great connection then to uh you, you know use a quote in the book uh from Carl Jung where he talks about where women always stand just where the man's shadow falls hmm. so he's liable to only too liable to confuse the two But there's something in this necessity, I would say, for the man to develop a certain range, right, a range of consciousness of himself in order to be able to meet, right, those places uh, that are showing up or being represented in the relationship to the woman. And I'll just read one other quote here from the same chapter. Uh, You say, the truth is the way you treat and view women represents the way you treat your own feminine qualities and unconscious mind. And I'd love to now speak. This is getting a little more mythic territory, which, of course, I love. some mythic masculine. But uh, I've, I've, I'd be happy to spend a bit of time here. of you know, This range of what does it mean to be to turn the woman into that, right? Or to recognize her essentially as this representation of essentially as far as you're willing to go, you know, with your own, with a man's own recognition of, quote, his feminine. And mm-hmm. even what do we mean by that, right? When we say the feminine, mm-hmm. say within a man. Because often that gets trotted out a lot, right? And so it'd be good to define some of the understandings here.
1: Yeah. Well, in the Jungian framework, he uses the terms anima and animus. And those are essentially just masculine and feminine. That's He's just coined them a different term. And so, and again, in the Jungian framework, within a man, his consciousness is his masculine orientation and his unconscious is his feminine so everything that we as men don't know about ourselves, everything that we, uh, don't want other people to know about us or, or, uh, what we tend to avoid about ourselves, what we dislike about ourselves, all of that is within the unconscious and it's within the shadow, right? So we we'll maybe talk about that in, you know, a second, but what we'll often do is I'm trying to frame this without getting so. Uh, without pathologizing and, and using too many like psychoanalytical terms because sometimes that can that can just throw us off. but I, I feel like your audience probably has all, all of that uh, yeah let's uh, go uh, for that's it. that's probably fine. <laughs> but what will generally happen is that a man will project his unconscious contents onto his girlfriend or wife. Okay, what does that mean? It means that the parts of him that he doesn't like, his insecurities, his fears, his inferiorities, and the things that he either perceives is lacking or doesn't even know is lacking within him, he will project onto that woman. So example, I hear a lot of men these days saying, I can't stand my wife's anger. I hate it when my girlfriend gets angry. It's It's, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to handle it. I shut down or run away. You know, I get defensive. I feel like I have to get louder than her. And so a lot of, a lot of men, what ends up happening are in our modern culture, are disconnected from their anger. They are anger avoidant. And so their, their anger, it's not that it goes away. It's not that your capacity as a man to be angry just dissolves and disappears. It's that it just moves into your unconscious. So you become unaware of and disconnected to when you're angry and you don't want to admit when you're angry and you don't want to admit how your anger looks. So when it starts to show up in your relationship or it starts, you start to feel it in your relationship, you will project that onto your partner and you will become resentful towards her anger or you will become fearful of her anger or you will judge when she's angry because you're disconnected from your own anger, because that part of you is within your unconscious. So that's an example. Another example is the things you try and get from the women that you're with. So one of the examples that I think is the strongest that I see in a lot of men is a lack of self-recognition and validation. Because self-recognition and self-validation requires sometimes a good amount of compassion. A good amount of empathy to say, yeah, I gave it my best. I really tried, but I want to recognize myself for putting in the effort. That requires compassion to be present. And, you know, traditionally we've thought of compassion and empathy as being a more feminine oriented trait. We could argue about that and we could have discourse about it. But I think traditionally, if you look in spiritual traditions and tantric traditions, those qualities are generally speaking more feminine in nature. So when a man is lacking in, in self validation and self recognition, or he's lacking in compassion, he will act in a way to try and get that from the woman that he's with. So nice guys, traditionally needy, right? The stage five clingers texting all the time. Um, you know. Tell me I'm good enough. Tell me I'm smart enough. Tell me I'm handsome enough. Tell me I'm good enough in bed, you know, and, and m- not that it always gets said directly, but our behaviors can manifest in that way. Well, what are we actually doing? We are outsourcing a sense of internal validation. So I don't have a validation system within myself. I haven't developed it. I won't give myself validation or recognize my strengths, my attributes, what I bring to the table. And so what do I do? I unconsciously compensate for that. And I try and get it from women. I try and get them to validate me, get them to recognize me, get them to give me praise. And it's almost always this unconscious process where a man's like, man, I feel out of control tech, you know, messaging these women on Instagram, trying to get attention from them. I keep falling into these thirst traps or texting this woman, trying to get her to tell her that she you know, tell me that she likes me so there's many different ways that this can show up but the essence of it is that when we lack in some of these more feminine oriented qualities self-compassion empathy self-recognition self-validation we will try and seek them from women or on the other side when we lack things that that we've disconnected from, even if they're not a feminine quality or trait, like our anger or our assertiveness, when we see our partner displaying it, we will judge it. We will become resentful. We'll become hostile because we'll identify she has something that I know I'm inferior in. She has something that I know I'm lacking in. So maybe I'll just pause there because I've given a, a few examples and, and said a good amount about it. <laughs>
0: yeah thanks what comes to me is again real life examples of uh being in you know a a fiery conflict where uh similarly there's this you know intensity that i'll say my current relationship is um kind of unprecedented like Mm. as in you know i i was married in the past you know it was a 10-year relationship it was one of those where we didn't really fight at all right of course which means it was mostly under the surface Uh uh-huh and um And then a relationship after that, you know, had some of that fiery, uh, intensity with conflict, but often we, we skewed both more avoidant, Mm. right? In that relationship. And so in this current relationship, I think it's okay to say that, you know, we do have the dance often of that anxious avoidant trap and we really try to bring consciousness to it. And yet it's so hard to break the pattern once those, uh, you know, polarities are activated. But I'll say for me, when there is this, you know, fiery intensity coming at me, it is difficult to say, How do I meet that right in a way that is um, still in contact, right, or still in connection? Because I say often, yeah, I do find I'll either can say, wow, okay, this is too much, you know. And sometimes it is. Sometimes I do need to take you know ten minute breather, and and I try to be able to say, okay, look, you know, I love you, and I need ten minutes, you know, and I'll come back, like. You know, at the best of times, I could do that. Yeah, um, but often it's not the case. Often it's just it's too overwhelming, and then or meeting it by also amplifying myself, right, and saying, okay, if you want to play in this realm, okay, mm-hmm. here we go, right. And so I do find often I'm caught between these two poles, right, of how to meet that in a way that actually, yeah, it can lead to a generative outcome. Mm-hmm. And what might you <laughs> offer for? Yeah,
1: to no, it's it's so good because I think again I see a lot of men almost like competing with the women that they date, competing with their masculine, you know, competing with and getting caught locking horns with their partner when their partner is in a more masculine orientation, you know, and she's being,
0: would you call that masculine though, in terms of like this, you know, cause I would say it's almost like a fiery emotionality, right? That, Mm. that, that kind of chaotic, um, you know, stormy expression mm-hmm. of, yeah, intensity, which think to me is like a different flavor necessarily in a comp- competition, right?
1: I think it depends on how it shows up. Um, sure. Uh, maybe I'll... So my wife is, you know, very independent, only child, and traditionally very assertive, um, which I think we've generally connot- you know, associated with the masculine, um, can be a little bit more domineering within... Within her business realm, and when we first started dating, as you're talking about, you know, your your example and your experience, when conflict would happen, she would get almost litigious, you know, like a lawyer, mm-hmm. and it wasn't emotional. And I think this is where uh, where many women who, um, yeah, there's just there's a good growing population of women that when they are upset in the relationship, this is how it presents, right? It's bullet points and it's litigious. And, you know, point proving and proving your point wrong and very assertive and, and sort of direct and kind of what you would expect if, you know, if you were in a disagreement with another, with another guy. And so I remember in the beginning of our relationship, I was like, what is going on? Because I historically had been conflict avoidant because for me growing up, conflict was, um, abusive, you know, verbally, emotionally, and sometimes physically abusive. And so how conflict had shown up for me in relationships was that I just sort of shut it down. I'd be like, "No, I'm not I'm not engaging with you. I'm not going there. I'm not talking about this." I would walk away, etc. And I had started working on it in relationships before my now wife, but then when we started dating and, you know, we sort of moved past the honeymoon phase and, you know, some conflict started to show up, she would get hyper almost like aggressive not in a physical way but in a combative way in an argumentative way and i found myself initially engaging with that by doing the exact same thing by almost like having m- this masculine battle you know like i'm going to i'm going to have it out with you and we're going to see who wins <laughs> and and I, and I and i and i'm not saying that you do that with your partner it might be very very different but i see a lot of men falling into that trap and so I had to take a step back and, and really say, okay, I'm not going to engage in this way because I can tell that where it's going is this kind of very assertive conflict style orientation, which doesn't lead to any outcome other than both people not feeling understood or, uh, or really respected. And, and, and it wasn't really leading to good outcomes. So one of the things that I had to do that I think was very helpful was realized that I was trying to compete with her. I was trying to compete to be right. I was trying to compete to get it right. I was trying to compete to be victorious in some fashion. And so I think that what can be very helpful in these circumstances is to see, are you trying to compete with your partner to be right or victorious? And can you step back from the urge, because it's a very physical urge to be right and victorious, and m- shift into a space of, I don't need to be right about this to understand you. That doesn't mean that you lose the argument. It actually means that you create the bridge for the argument to be resolved. And the game that we should play relationally as men, in my opinion, and you can dis- anybody can disagree with this, but the game that I think that we should play as men when it comes to conflict is sitting in the seat of being the person that, that sorts out how to resolve it because there is a tremendous amount that requires a tremendous amount from us. It requires us to be grounded and solid. It requires us to understand our uh, own emotional reactivity and breathe through it, which is very hard. You know, like for me, sometimes, you know, when conflicts come up with, with my wife, It's very intense internally. It feels very intense. Like, why is this happening again? Why can't we get this right? Or why can't, why are we having the same argument again? You know, all the stuff that I'm sure that, you know, the listeners are like, yes, I say those things to myself as well. And so it requires that I deal with my own intensity internally, the charge that I feel in my body. And it requires that I prioritize the relationship over my internal egotistical desire to just be right. And it also means that I have to let go of judging my partner and how she's showing up. So whether our partner is showing up with chaos and it's emotional and, you know, she's trying to pull us in a thousand different directions or she's showing up in this very assertive, uh, you know, sort of semi-aggressive litigious lawyer oriented manner. Our role is, as I've said before, I think one of the best things that we can do is step into what's my internal experience what's the charge that i'm experiencing in my body what don't i want to deal with when it comes to this conversation and can i be responsible for the reconciliation even if my partner won't right can mm-hmm. i can i take that on and and in doing that you know i think that we generally speaking empower ourselves to be in a more empowered position than Operating from our reactivities and our emotions, and getting caught in the chaos or the storm that might be coming from our partner, or trying to debate them and be be victorious. So we shift out of that dynamic entirely. You might be familiar with another
0: uh, couples counselor author, Terry Real, mm-hmm. um, but he has a book. Yeah, he has a book called "Us," which I had read. Uh, you know, I think it came out about six months ago or so. But he has this uh, framework which I love too. Which he talks about. The idea of in conflict, ideally, one of you have to be in. I think he said your adaptive, or sorry, your wise adult, if they're in their adaptive child, mm-hmm. right? And th- that goes into say, okay, all these you know strategies of ways that you know dysfunctional ways that were strategies at the time of you know in relational to get your needs matter to protect yourself. That those show up later in relationship. So he's like, okay, at least one of you has to be the own wise adult if the other is an adaptive child. And I mean, I hear a little bit of that kind of dance as well. And for me, if I apply that framework to what you just said, you know, I might say, well, my adaptive child in that is like, well, why do I have to do it? Right? Like, why am I, why do I have to be the one that's like, you know, okay, fine, I'll be grounded. I'll, you know, sort my way through this. And then my wise adult's like, okay, but, you know, not doing it that way as in sticking with the, well, I want to be right, um, never leads to a good outcome. So (laughs) you choose, you know, so it's funny to even do that, you know, internal dance.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're sending a signal to yourself that reinforces who you want to be and who you are within the context of the relationship. And I think that is, you know, the more that I've worked with men, the more that I've come to realize that, and there's some research to back this up, by the way, that one of our top values and priorities is our capacity for personal development. There's actually research that shows that, that, men, that one of men's highest values is their ability to develop and grow themselves. So when we step into this more grounded space and say, I'm going to take responsibility for trying to reconcile this conflict and, and put aside maybe my own reactivity or my own need to be right or whatever it is and prioritize reconciliation to understand, you know, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Why are you so upset? There is growth and development within that. And I think the more that we do that, the more that we nurture a sense of self respect. And I, I have yet to meet a man who doesn't want to respect himself. And I've yet to meet a woman that wants to be with a man that she doesn't, that she doesn't respect. You know, I think that's something that I said in, in the book and in the course is that women want to be with men that they respect. And so if you continue to operate in a way as a man, and I've done this in the past and I've destroyed relationships like this, where I operated in ways where I didn't respect myself. I went against my integrity. I went against my word. You know, I acted out. I let myself become judgmental and act from what I would call the little boy, you know. Uh, and, and all of that eroded my sense of self-respect. And the more that we as men do that, the harder it is for our partner to respect us and to trust us and to want to be close and intimate and open and feel safe. And the more challenging it is for us to feel a sense of fulfillment as men, because I think that there is a kind of a quality of joy for us as men to operate in a disciplined way where we respect ourselves. And it's not easy and it's not always um, the action that we want to take when we want to shut down and we don't want to self-soothe and we want to stay in this dysregulated state and use the conflict as an excuse to go and drink or smoke weed or watch porn or, you know, do some maladaptive thing. But when we can come back to, no, I'm going to commit to developing self-respect, just a core principle it will radically and fundamentally change how we show up in these conversations and it will shift how we engage with and i think ultimately relate to ourselves and and that's i think maybe just to sort of put a a bow on it is that my hope my endeavor in men's work whether it's this book or working with individuals or groups or whatever is always to try and reconcile the the relationship that we have with ourself because it is one of the single most important relationships that you'll ever have, right? No matter who you're married to, no matter who you're dating, no matter who you're around, you have you. And so that's why I said, you know, a relationship reveals who you are as a man. And then you get to grapple with and wrestle with that part of you, the part that's reactive and bitter and resentful and talking shit and shutting down and becoming worrisome, you know, then you get to grapple with that part. But I think that in, in our modern day dating, I think in the therapeutic industry, it's become much too common for men to be encouraged to turn their partners unintentionally into an emotional processing center where a lot of men aren't doing the internal work to actually process how they're feeling and they are. They are actually outsourcing that emotional processing and couching it in the term of vulnerability to their partner and saying, see, I'm sharing how I'm feeling with you. But what actually ends up happening is that they're just emotionally vomiting out into their relationship. And then the women that they're with or friends with or around are having to process their emotions for them, package them back up and give them back to them. And Mm -hmm. and it's not functional and it doesn't empower men. And it doesn't leave women feeling uh, satiated in what they want relationally with men or the masculine. So, and it's not not to shame men. It's not to like say, like, guys, you know, (laughs) you're in the wrong. It's just I have been there and I've done it and I've done it for years and I've seen how, how, um, how it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't leave me feeling happy or fulfilled or satiated and maybe you'll feel happy there but i highly doubt it Mm.
0: thanks connor i want to sort of head towards the close of our conversation but i couldn't not touch on what takes up a big portion of this chapter uh, on relationship with women Uh, illuminating infidelity and porn Mm. and you know it's a it's a pretty sizable chapter and um you know a big uh, area, I'm sure of, of interest, concern, um, conflict, mystery. And I'd love for you to speak a little of, you know, what, what role you see, um, that keeps showing up? Like, what are these patterns that keep showing up around this conversation or you know, in relationship, uh, with the feminine connection to the feminine source or not, right? These are the things that I feel that we've been touching on and how are those illuminated through infidelity and porn?
1: Whew. Yeah. Um Well, I, I gave it a good a, amount of space within the book because th- these two things have played such a huge role in my life. Um, I was unfaithful in so many relationships and I, I, I cheated constantly. And porn was the other mistress that was in almost all of those relationships. And it really was an addiction for me you know, it really, uh, was unhealthy where I would lose sleep to watch it. Um, and, and same with, you know, same with the affairs and same with the, uh, the other women. Like I would, I would sacrifice things to go and, and be with them. Um, so I, you know, I think it's a huge topic. I think there's much more to it than what I, you know, what I put in the book. But what I will say is that infidelity reveals things that are often missing within us as men, if we are unfaithful and within the context of the relationship and you know, why, why we cheat as, as men, because I'm just going to stick to men for this conversation because otherwise, you know, it can get too, too broad. Mm -hmm. Um, why we cheat as men is, I mean, there's, there's just so many reasons, But generally speaking, what I see outside of the guys who are the, the sort of, the the, the ones that are just cheating constantly, just because there's an opportunity, right? Just because they can. Uh, the ones that are unfaithful on the one-off circumstances or get caught in an affair for a, a few weeks or a few months. It's generally because there's something missing within their relationship that they haven't brought forward that they want and that they need within the context of their of their primary intimate relationship that they then go seek outside of the relationship to actually maintain the relationship. It's very counterintuitive, right? I, I think I put in the book, I spoke at a TEDx conference years and years ago, and there was a sex therapist that um, I really respect and and appreciate. And she said, you know, uh, as as a generality, men cheat to stay and women cheat to leave. Generally. And I have found that to be true in a lot of the work that I've done with men is that oftentimes infidelity is happening. And this isn't to excuse behavior. I just want to make that super clear because I can almost hear like you're excusing, you know, men's behavior. No, 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 no. Generally speaking, what happens is that a man feels like there's something missing either within him, right? I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel lovable enough. And I don't know how to communicate that in my relationship. And so I'm going to go seek that somewhere outside of my relationship. Or there's something fundamentally missing within the relationship, a depth of sexual connection, a depth of intimacy, a depth of communication, a depth of understanding that then he goes and seeks outside of the dynamic. But it's very rare that he wants to seek that outside connection and end the relationship. It's almost always that he's seeking that outside connection to satiate that missing thing to then maintain the relationship. Is that, is, is that what I'm saying clear? Like, yeah, f- fairly clear. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and
0: I, I guess what comes to me, or oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go. What comes to me is the so why wouldn't the man say, for example, right? Like, you know, bring that hard conversation to his partner. Right. And I've been in situations too where I'd say, okay, well one am I why would I not say this to my partner if like, hey, you know, I have this fantasy, right? Or, you know, I have this other desire I want to try, or I don't know, trip I want to take, or right, generally it's been to avoid conflict. Mm. Right. Or or consequence such as possibly the ending of the relationship. Yes. Right? Um as in that can be fear and that can actually be a a very real thing, right? In situations where uh, there's, there's actually not um, a possibility or a flexibility or a desire even to, you know, go places where one of the partners say wants to go <clears throat> in the relationship or with many things, you know, it could be personal growth. It could be uh, adventure. It could be, you know, other connections. And so I can see why, like you're saying, it's like, well, if I bring this to a relationship, it might end. Mm-hmm. So I'll just do it quietly, you know, over here and maybe, you know, feel good about it, which never is the case. Um, and so it's this bind, actually, right? It's this like really challenging bind um, that, it, in some ways, is also predicated on a, a design, a relational design of like culture and society, where you know mating in captivity. Uh, mm-hmm. Esther Perel, said, you know, says it very well that we have a structure where, you know, we do have a, a kind of expectation, right? That all of so much is burdened on a relationship. Uh, one other person, let's say if you're in a monogamous, you know, structure and, um, and the deep challenge of that, you know, it has many gifts, but also has, you know, a, a kind of design flaw in a lot of ways when we don't have like a wider field of mutual support of, of connection. Hmm. Right. And, you know, I can chase that down for a bit, but I'd just be curious for you to maybe about the first part, right? About how hard it is to bring, you know, what's true to a relationship. If it actually possibly risks the relationship.
1: Yeah, well, I think from what I've seen and experienced, we generally underestimate how intense the, the driving force to protect our partner is. And so I see a lot of men convincing themselves not to bring certain desires, needs, or wants forward into relationship out of this sort of skewed perception of protection. I don't want to hurt her you know, uh, or I don't want to feel rejected. Right. I don't want to feel embarrassed. I don't want to be turned down. Um, I don't want them to feel pressured. I don't want them to feel, uh, like I don't want them to feel embarrassed. Right. So I think that there's a very intense sense of, of, of protection that can emerge that can, um, almost like push a man away from or or he can rationalize rejecting his own needs wants and desires through this lens of protection and I think that the other the other aspect of it that's very important is shame you know we one of the surprising things of working with men over the last decade um, and I, and maybe it shouldn't have been surprising but it really has been surprising. Is how few of us are connected to understanding when we feel shame. It, it really is one of those sort of sneaky emotions that's hidden in the depths of our experience that we almost have to mine for. And we have to get a sense of like, when am I actually feeling shame? And, and I think that so many men, you know, because we want to be strong and we want to be stoic and, you know, we want to be grounded and we want to provide and we want to be a good partner, you know, the, the amount of men that really want to get it right with their partners is substantial. I very rarely meet men that are stepping into this work that are like, yeah, I don't really want to do the work or I no, I don't, I don't really want to change too much. It's like, no, they deeply care about getting it right with their partner, about being successful with their partner. And so, but, but they're, they're almost always very disconnected from the shame that they've felt around being unsuccessful or the shame of wanting something sexually or the shame of exploring a certain expression or desire. So I think that those, those two things are things that we have to start to become aware of. Am I, am I prioritizing protecting my partner above my own wants, needs, and desires, which is kind of a nice guy thing to do? Or, Do, am I afraid to feel the shame of potentially being rejected on the other side or feeling embarrassed about bringing this desire forward? So I think that those two things are really important. And then second, and then maybe lastly, what I would say really, really briefly is I think it's really important for a man to be honest about what he values within the context of a relationship And be relentless with that. Like truly uh, do not. I don't want to say do not compromise because I think that's too cliche in our modern (laughs) society, but be relentless in the pursuit of what is really meaningful and valuable to you. You know, I was unfaithful a lot of the times in my past relationships. And I'll just tie this back into our, our previous conversation because I had separated the women that I that I that I was with into two camps unconsciously, right? It's like the Madonna horror complex, right? So I separated the women that I loved and fell in love with, and and dated from the women that I just wanted to have sex with. And I didn't want relationships with them. I didn't want to be with them, but I wanted to I, I wanted to fully express my sexuality. And so merging those two things was incredibly challenging, but also deeply rewarding being able to say this is what i want to explore sexually with a woman that i loved and claiming that that was a high value and something that was very important to me because i'm a very sexual individual was incredibly important and game-changing within the relationship because then it, it very quickly um, became a filtration system in my choosing but it also helped me feel more whole more complete Because I didn't need to go outside of the relationship to get a primary need met. I could bring that primary need into my relationship. So get very clear on some of the really important things for you within your relationship. Bring those into the conversations of your relationship, even though those relationships are going to be hard, but hard conversations dictate the course of your life. They determine the success of relationships. You know, they really, really do. And they can determine the Depth of fulfillment that you have within a relationship, so you have to be willing to engage in some of those things and risk getting it wrong, saying it wrong, being rejected, being embarrassed—the whole, the whole gamut. Mm. Beautiful.
0: You know, I part of me wants to chase down the the mother whore dynamic, and you know, there's a whole <laughs> shadow of the mother element, yes. right? Which, yeah, which you know, maybe this could be a whole other episode. Um, but respecting your time, we began this conversation by asking the question or attempting to answer what do women want in relationship and what came back and what we, you know, circled around was this idea of being fully expressed. And so I'm curious now, as we close this conversation, what do you understand that men want most deeply in relationship?
1: Hmm. You know, I think I can speak largely for myself on this one and maybe it'll resonate with with other men but what i ultimately want within the context one of the most rewarding things in my relationship is being able to act choose and communicate in a way that represents who i want to be as a man in a way that represents and reinforces that notion of self-respect that i don't sacrifice what i want what I authentically want and need in order to be in a relationship or be loved or be accepted. So I, I would say that that maybe that'll resonate with some men, but for me, that's what I really want. It's not that I need something from my partner. It's actually how I want to show up. And the more that I show up in an aligned, authentic way with who I know I'm capable of being as a man, the, the more rewarded I feel, the more love that I feel, the more that I'm able to have honest conversations with my wife where my needs are met and I'm loved and I'm understood and all those other beautiful things. So I don't know if we want to put that under the umbrella of integrity or, or what, but <laughs> but yeah. that's that's what I have found to be the absolute most rewarding is, ah, self-leadership. That's what I want. I want to be able to lead myself effect- effectively and meaningfully within the relationship because then everything else follows suit. I'm hearing uh, in the great words of Carl Jung, I'd rather be
0: whole than good. Hell yeah. And there's something around that quality and what you're speaking to. And I would say a wholeness, right? Uh, can I be authentic? Can I be whole? And will I be loved? Will I be accepted in my relationship? can she can she accept me wholly uh is what comes to me and mm. maybe that's true yeah for you and the, the men listening and what a beautiful
1: place to end our conversation today awesome brother well thank you so much for having me and phenomenal questions as always mm. and to the listener please
0: check out men's work which should be out you know by the time this episode is also out and uh buy it give it to your men and bring it to your men's circle and uh, check out Connor's uh, extensive you know, offerings online, mantox.com, the relational mastery course as well, I believe is, is available as a drip course, right? So you can mm-hmm. uh, access it anytime and uh, I highly recommend it. So check it out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode on your social media. Once again, you're invited to check out The Mythic Masculine on Substack. You'll be able to subscribe to forthcoming episodes, as well as consider becoming a paid supporter. Visit themythicmasculine.com slash subscriber to join.